Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to learn more about you, to to learn about your will for our lives. We pray, Lord, just for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit and that you'll help us to be sensitive uh, to the work of your Spirit you you desire to do in and through us and also to be receptive to your word. I pray, Father, that when we leave this place, we'll leave better than when we came. We pray that you'll be glorified in the ministries going on on this campus And Lord, I pray that I would decrease and you increase. May the people hear a timely word from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 10, 1 Samuel 10. And we're going to continue the study in this chapter where we're looking at the process of Saul becoming the first king of the nation of Israel. And as we walk through the text, we're going to pick up some spiritual insights on what to do and on what not to do. And overall, they're going to help us to reach our full potential in Christ. And remember, that's the major theme as we're going through the entire book of 1 Samuel. We want to learn how to reach our full potential in Christ. So once again, tonight's lesson is, is one step in that process. And so we want to pray about those spiritual insights or those spiritual nuggets that God wants us to pick up here. And so the, the, the verses that we're going to study are verses 17 through 27, once again in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And there is a title as usual to the message, and it is entitled Christians in Hiding. Christians in Hiding. So let's pick up at verse 17. It says, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans or family groups. Now, remember, Samuel already knows that Saul is the king God appointed. For Samuel is the man who had anointed him with oil in private in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 10. And now the people of Israel are going to learn who this king is. And so this that we'll see in this chapter will be a public presentation or identification of Saul as the first king of Israel. And so I like what the Lord says, and he uses Samuel 
as a mouthpiece here as you begin to look once again in, in verse 18. You see, we, we are reminded of all of the great things that God has done for these people, for Israel, how he brought them out of Egypt and delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. Because remember, they, are, they were in bondage or slavery. And Moses, remember, was the leader at that time that God used to bring them out of slavery. And also the Lord delivered them from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed them. And so God had done all those great things on their behalf, but yet, and it's pointed out here in these verses, they rejected God, their true king. You see, back then, as you can see in the study, God was underappreciated. And today he is still underappreciated. See, God is the one who gave us life. He may not have delivered us from Egypt like he did for the Israelites, but he delivered us from sin. He forgave us of our sins. He delivered us from hell. He defeated the enemy for us. He defeated Satan, in other words. God is our life giver. He is our creator. He's the one who blesses us with the air we breathe. He's the one who gives people power even to get wealth. He blesses us with health. He watches over us while we're sleeping. He blesses us with the sun, with the rain, blesses us with transportation and clothing and shelter. He puts various people in our lives to be a blessing to us. And so God has been so good to us. He's been such a blessing to us. And yet and still, he is underappreciated, just like he was with the Israelites. See, the Israelites rejected God as they demonstrated their desire for a human king. And now it was time for them to present themselves and get in position to receive what they wanted. See, the God of the Bible is not going to force himself on the, th- on the throne of anybody's hearts. He didn't force himself on the throne of their hearts or the throne of their lives, and he's not going to do that today. He's going to allow people to choose the ruler that they want to rule over them, whether it's a person, place, or thing. God is not a tyrant. And so they wanted a human king. And so now they're going to be presented with one. And now you have the men of God telling them to present themselves before the Lord, because now they're going to get what they wanted, a human king. And so that word for us, the lesson we can take for ourselves is to be ready to reap the consequences of our choice. Or we won't see the bad that comes out of Saul's life right away, but uh, that's just a spoiler alert. It's coming ahead. And many of you are Bible scholars. You already know what lies ahead as you continue to study 1 Samuel. And so just like the Israelites would, we too are going to reap the consequences of our choice. Whoever we allow to be the king of our lives, whoever we allow to sit on the throne of our hearts, In verse 20, it says, and when Samuel has caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, there were 12 tribes. It says that the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. 
And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment, which would be the provisions and the supplies. And so in verse 23, they ran and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? And so all the people shouted and said, long live the king. And then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, and he wrote it in the book, and he laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people of way, every man to his house. And so it's possible when you read that the tribe of Benjamin was chosen and the family of Matri was chosen and then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. It's possible that they casted lots to determine this. And casting lots during that time was a method that they used to discern the will of God. And lots, by the way, could be sticks with markings. They could be stones with symbols, etc. And they would be thrown into a small area. And then the result was interpreted. The scripture says in Proverbs 16, verse 33, in regard to lots, it says that the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. And so the lot fell the way God wanted it to fall because it's every decision is from the Lord. And so if indeed casting lots was the method that was used to identify Saul as the king before the people, then in actuality, the lot or this casting of lots confirmed the word of God because Samuel was already told who the next king or the first king of Israel would be. And then Saul, of course, was told and he was anointed with oil by Samuel in verse one of, again, first Samuel chapter 10. But today for us, there's no need for us to cast lots because today we rely more on the written word of God. And we also rely on the Holy Spirit who indwells us. But there are some decisions we'll need to make that we can't open a Bible and find a scripture to. There's some there's just some situations that we won't find in the Bible, like what, what color to paint the house, which job to take, things like that. There's not a specific verse we may find in the Bible. Doesn't mean we cast lots, but we pray to the Lord. We, we ask him to guide us. We ask him to even send confirmation if If that's what he wants us to do, if that's the job he wants us to take, if that's the city he wants us to move to. And so we pray to him and and God will provide the confirmation his way. And I remember receiving confirmation from the Lord about moving from California to Arizona. There was no specific Bible verse that, that mentions Arizona. Lord, should I move to Arizona? Is it wrong to move to Arizona? There's no Bible verse for that. But I remember one time my wife and I, we were here. We, we normally would visit my brother-in-law and his family at least once a year or something like that. 
And you know, we go back home to California, live our lives, do our thing. But one, one day we, we came out here and the words just flowed out of my mouth. I just said, hey, let's move here. And it felt so comfortable saying, let's move here. And what's funny was my wife responded immediately, yeah, let's do it. And so it just came out so smoothly. And, and then I had to go back because it came so easy. I, I had to determine, Lord, if, if, if this is my flesh or is this you? Is this your will for me to move from California to Arizona? And so I was a teacher at that time and teaching at a middle school in Carson, California. And, and I remember mentioning it to some people, just giving people a heads up that, you know, we're planning to move to Arizona. Of course, everything wasn't falling into place yet, but sometimes I wouldn't even be thinking about Arizona. And, and I believe God was using some of those people there to confirm it to me because as I'll be walking through the hallways or something, some teacher would bring it up randomly. Hey, you still going to Arizona? And I remember getting in the car, turning on the radio, and the first word I would hear, Arizona. Or, or I'll be parked in the parking lot, and there'd be some flyer on the dashboard, that would, Arizona. And so God was sending all of these confirmations. But of course, it started with prayer. And so that's why I said that God will provide confirmation his way. Yes, he could use people. God, we, we just can't put them in a box. And I'm talking about things that cannot be found specifically in his word. And yes, of course, God can speak to us via his Holy Spirit. So maybe some of you are praying about something tonight and something has been nagging you when you're in a state of confusion and you've been asking various brothers and sisters to pray for you on which route to take or maybe something that you need to reject and and maybe you, you feel like you haven't received that confirmation yet. Well, I believe that God does want you to know his perfect will for your life, your perfect will for your decision. And so I would just encourage you to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit and continue to pray, continue to be in the word of God, continue to ask the brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you and to pray with you because God wants you to know his will for your life. Verse 26, it says, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, which is a city belonging to the tribe of Benjamin and valiant or brave men went with him whose hearts God had touched. You know, just like with Saul, there are some people that God put in our lives to support us in our walk and in our ministries. And whatever God has called us to do, God has touched some people's hearts to come alongside of us. And we need to be thankful for those people. Because those people I see as uh, I see them as a gift from God, that God will call them to come alongside of us. Once again, in our walk and in our ministries, but some rebels said in verse 27, how can this man save us? How can Saul save us? This this person who is hiding among the equipment, how can he save us? How can he do anything to help us? And so they despise him. They had no respect for him. They looked down upon him so much so that they didn't bring him any presents. They did not welcome him as their future king. But he, speaking of Saul, held his peace. And so there were some rebels who were present 
when Saul was proclaimed king. And the term rebels could also be replaced with the phrase sons of Belial. And this same phrase, sons of Belial, in Hebrew, was actually used to describe Eli's sons earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, those scoundrels, in other words. These guys who were cheating people out of their sacrifices and, and they were having uh, sex with the women who were gathered at that tent of worship. These scoundrels. And so the sons of Belial were also used for Eli's sons. And again, these were priests. And so these rebels are sons of Belial as well. And it simply meant that they were wicked or worthless men. They were scoundrels. And you can tell by their question here, how they questioned Saul. You can tell by the fact that they despised him and they brought him no presents. And so their presence and their disrespect of Saul shows that not everyone, of course, was supportive of him. Not everyone was applauding Saul. They were not excited that this handsome and tall guy was on their side and he was their new commander in chief or leader. And before giving Saul a chance, we see that they were already questioning his abilities. And that goes to show you that not everyone will be supportive of you. You know, some would even work against you. You know, without even seeing what God can do and is about to do through you, some people will already have those questions and they're going to present those doubts to you and they're going to present those words of discouragement to you. Not even giving God an opportunity to do his work in and through you. But don't let the disrespect, don't let that non-supportiveness of others discourage you from what God called you to do. So I wanted to deposit that word of encouragement with you that, that you're not the first and you won't be the last person who is not supported by all. It just won't happen that way. It'll be nice if it did. But then again, remember to thank God for those people who have come alongside of you. Those people whose hearts God has touched and thank God for them. But then there is a way to deal with people who are not on your side with people who are going to be disrespectful and non-supportive and who are going to question whether or not God told you to do something or if you really deserve that raise or that position or whatever it may be. There's a way to deal with that. And we can see it in verse 27, that same verse, with the way Saul responded, or I should say did not respond. And I would say that Saul used some wisdom in not responding to those rebels, antagonistic and disrespectful words. And just the utter disrespect, I, I like how he used wisdom there. And this goes to show you that you don't have to argue with, or with people or defend yourselves against those who are going to be antagonistic towards you, of those who are going to be non-supportive, of those who are going to look down upon you. Talk bad about you. Accuse you falsely. And so we can take a page as well from Jesus because 
The scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't even respond to his accusers. He didn't respond to those religious leaders who were accusing him before Pilate as Jesus stood trial before Pilate. And so we can learn something from Jesus as we learn something from Saul because it said he held his peace. And there's some wisdom here and I'm parking a lot and just staying right here in Proverbs a lot. A lot of wisdom in these words because Proverbs 17 verse 28 says this. It says that even a fool, even somebody silly or stupid is counted wise when he holds his peace, when he's quiet. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. He's considered wise or intelligent, even a fool. And then another scripture says this, still in Proverbs, a few pages over. Proverbs 29, 11, it says that a fool vents all his feelings. And so Saul would have been a fool to, to give them a piece of his mind. He would have been a fool to curse them out. And, and those times that you would have gone off on somebody, those times that, that, that you would have vented all of your feelings, the scripture says that a fool does that, vents all of his feelings. But a wise man, a wise woman holds them back. And so you want to be slow to speak. You want to be slow to anger. And sometimes it's just time to be quiet. Sometimes it's just time to go in your room or go in your car if you're at work, go in your car on your lunch break, your 15-minute break, and, and just pray. And not just pray for yourself, but pray for those people who are being antagonistic towards you. Pray for those people who are being disrespectful towards you because it's hard to hate people that you're praying for. It's hard to to not love people that you're praying for. And that's in the will of God. Jesus said that. He tells us to to pray for our enemies. A fool vents all of his feelings. and, And Saul in this instance was not a fool. He held his peace against those men, those rebels who despised him. And what's funny is he could have punished them because he was the newly appointed king of Israel. But one thing I want to do is address the fact, as we speak about Saul, address the fact that that this man was hiding while Samuel is trying to present him as the anointed king. As the anointed or appointed king of Israel, he's trying to do that, but yet he's hiding among the equipment. And, And I find that kind of comical because this guy is, is, is tall. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. The most handsome guy in Israel. There was nobody like him. So tall, but yet and still, he's, he's hiding among the equipment. And, and, and maybe he hid out of humility. Maybe he hid because he did not want to be in the spotlight, which is, of course, a good quality. God praises humility. Those who humble themselves, the Bible says that God will exalt. He will raise them up. But a person who exalts themselves, their hearts full of pride, then God will bring them low. He will humble them. And so we have a choice to humble ourselves or God is going to give you a little help. And we don't want that to happen. But 
But maybe getting back to Saul, maybe he hid out of humility. Or maybe this man hid out of fear. But whatever it was, he was hiding from his role and he was hiding from his responsibility that goes with the role of being the newly appointed and newly anointed king of Israel. But there's many Christians today in some sense before we start looking down on Saul, before we start kicking Saul, before we start bagging on Saul. There's there's many Christians even today, maybe some of us in this room or some of us who are watching at this time. Many Christians who are acting like Saul was acting in this instant, hiding. Oh, collectively as, as a church, we, we hide from our responsibilities. And no, I'm not just talking about hiding physically, although some people do out of fear. But I'm talking about hiding by not responding to the call to serve. I'm, I'm talking about hiding by not doing our part. And sometimes as a church, we can do that collectively, whether it's on a local church level or the big C church, which is the worldwide church made up of anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we can hide from our responsibilities with apathy. Just not caring about anything that goes on in the world, not caring about anyone else in the world outside of our circle. And so we can have apathy and in that way hide from our responsibilities. And not only as a church collectively do we hide, do some of us hide from our responsibilities and our calling, but individually we try to hide. And, I, and you're going to see why I say a try. We attempt to hide from our role. We attempt to hide from our responsibilities, even as individuals. And even though some are trying to hide from their calling and, and, and maybe hidden from other humans or other humans may not see you. They may not see you physically. They may not see you with their physical eyes. But then there are some people who do see you with their physical eyes, but yet and still you're still hiding because they don't even know that you're a Christian. They don't even know what you're called to do because you're not doing it. You're not performing your responsibility as a Christian so even though some are trying to hide from their calling and may be hidden from other humans, guess what? The scriptures tell us that we cannot hide from the Lord. I mean, you can see what it says here in verse 22. It said that they inquired of the Lord further. They, they were looking for Saul. Where is this man who is the newly appointed king of Israel? Who is this man? Has the man come here yet? And the Lord told on him, the Lord said, there he is, hidden among the equipment. And so we try to hide from folks, thinking nobody's going to see us, trying to hide from our calling. Some of us really call ourselves trying to hide from God. But that's an impossibility. And it tells us this in, in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He says, if I ascend into heaven, if I go up into heaven, 
you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And here in the Old Testament, where in this verse, where it says hell, it's, it's talking about Sheol. And Sheol is talking about the grave or the realm or the abode of the dead. And so the psalmist said, I can't go anywhere from your spirit. Where can I go? It's a rhetorical question. And that's because God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere all the time. I can't run from you. Wherever I go, you're going to be there. You're going to meet me. I can't hide from you. And so it was folly for Saul to try to hide among the equipment, hiding from man. But God said, no, there he is right there. There's that man. There he is. And I have to ask the question. The question is, why do some people try to hide? Or more specifically, why are you, if this is talking about you, why are you hiding from your calling? Why are you hiding from your responsibilities in the Lord? Why are you hiding from the job that God called you to do? Do you think that you're going to be successful? Oh, the psalmist wasn't successful then. Saul wasn't successful then in hiding. And neither will you, neither will I be successful from hiding from God. But some people, I submit, try to hide from the Lord because of fear. Another reason is some people feel inadequate. And, and we see this in the scriptures. We, we saw this with Moses, for example. When God was calling him this, to be the leader, to, to lead his people, to be the human leader, to lead his people out of Egypt. Well, the thing that he said is, oh, my speech is not good. My speech is not clear. I stumble over my words. I can't be used by you. You're going to have to find somebody else. And so some people feel inadequate. They can't speak well what they say. Some people like Jeremiah will say, I'm but a youth. I'm too young. I'm too experienced to be used by you. And so some people try to hide from their responsibilities. They try to hide from the call because they feel inadequate. And then some people feel the pressure to perform. Or oh, everybody's going to be dependent on me. If, if I don't do it, it's not going to be done. And all this weight is on my shoulders and on my shoulders alone. And if I don't go, if I don't do it, then it's not going to be done. If I don't witness to that person, then no, that person will never get saved. Or if I don't feed that person, that person is never going to be fed. Person you don't even know. And yes, it would be a blessing if you were able to do that. But some of us take too much and we put too much on our own selves and we, we put pressure on our own selves. So we have that pressure to perform. And, and so fear, the, the inadequate feeling and the pressure to perform are, are reasons I want to share with you or submit to you, at least in this study of why some people try to hide from their responsibilities, hide from their calling, hide even from the Lord. And some people may even say, oh, I just don't know enough. I just don't know enough. But, but I heard a testimony of somebody who got saved by a young lady. And, and all the young lady knew as a new believer was John 3.16. 
And that's all she shared with the gentleman, John 3.16. But the person that she shared John 3.16 with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. That verse, only thing she knew when this person on the other end was so ripe, they were so ready. They were like a ripe apple. They were so ripe. That's, that's all that they needed to hear. And God knew that and, and God knew exactly who to use. But some people feel, like, oh, I don't, I don't know enough. Do you know the name of Jesus? Do you know the name of Jesus who set you free? Do, do you know the name of the man who is not just fully man, but fully God? Do you know the name of the one who died on the cross for you? Do you know the name of the one who rose from the grave? Do you know the name of the one who said that he's going to come back for his bride? Do you know his name? If you know the name of Jesus, then you can share that with somebody. You may not be able to quote a verse, word perfect, but you can share the fact that Jesus died for you. He died for me. He hung on that cross. And and yes, there were nails there, I believe, in his wrists. And yes, he was held there physically by the nails in his wrists and, and in his feet on that cross. But you can share with them, but it was his love that kept him there. Because they, 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 they dared him to come down from the cross. If you're really who you say you are, then, then save yourself. Come down from the cross. But the ironic thing is that if he would have saved himself, then none of us would have an opportunity to be saved. None of us will be savable. So if you know that information, even though you don't know a verse, word, perfect. Oh, then you can share the gospel. Do you know your testimony? Do you know the darkness that you used to be in? The darkness you used to live in? Oh, this was once me. I was lost. Oh, I was just a wretch. But oh, his amazing grace. Because of his amazing grace, now I'm found. Here I am. I was living for the devil. I was living for myself. I was living in sin. I was not pleasing God in my lifestyle. I was not pleasing God in my thoughts. I was not pleasing God in my words. But oh, when somebody introduced me to Jesus and I repented and put my faith in him, oh, now I'm saved. The Bible says that I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. If you can say that, then hey, then you can share with somebody. But some feel that, oh, I'm inadequate. I don't know enough. And so we try to hide. But I want to share something with you that was true about Saul. And the thing I want to share with you is that you as a believer are unique. You as a believer in this world is unique. Just like Saul was unique. Because the scriptures tell us that there was nobody like him among all the people in verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 10. There was nobody like him among the people. He was more handsome than anyone in Israel. He was head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. He was unique. There was no one at that time who can be the king because God appointed him as a king. He was unique. And as believers who are chosen by God, 
who was wooed by the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. And we accepted that wooing and, and, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, we are unique. We are, the scriptures say, a peculiar people. We're special people to him, his special possession. You as a believer are unique. And I will tell you this, that just like there was no one at that time who can fulfill the role that God has given Saul to fulfill as the first king of Israel. I will say this as a Holy Spirit indwelt and filled people. There is no one who can fulfill your role. There is no one who could perform your role like you can as a church and as an individual who's a part of the body of Christ, who's a part of the church. You are unique. And we're unique because of number one, we were given spiritual gifts that God wants us to use to edify or build up the body of Christ. You see, that's not something that the world has been called to do. Uh, That is not something that anybody can do. That is something that's for the believer who was indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who's baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were given, we were given spiritual gifts, at least one to be a blessing to the other believers in the body of Christ. We can't depend on the world to do that for us. We can't depend on the world to edify the body of Christ. So the question I have is, why are we hiding from our responsibilities to use the spiritual gifts God allows us to borrow to edify the body of Christ? Or we're not going to get this edification from a politician. We're not going to get that edification from any science teacher or professor. We're not going to get this edification from an entertainer, but this edification and within the body of Christ is the responsibility of the, of the Holy Spirit in the church using the spiritual gifts to build up the body. But then, too, when we talk about our, our uniqueness, the uniqueness of the body of Christ, your uniqueness as an individual Christian The Bible says that we are the light of the world. Jesus himself said that we are the light of the world. In fact, it says in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. It cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And so we are unique in our calling. We are unique in who God made us. We're the light of the world, and it's not a light that we have produced on our own. Again, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and he indwells us because we have a connection with the bridegroom. And who is the bridegroom? The bridegroom is none other than Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, the Word of God, the one who stepped out of eternity, took upon a human body, and died for us, and was raised from from the grave. He is our high priest forever. Oh, this is the God, the Jesus we are affiliated with. And we are a reflection of the light that comes from God. And as his representatives, we are the light of the world. And if you think about the city that is set on the hill, 
Oh, that, that cannot be hidden. People are going to see it. And so we, as the light of the world, why are we hiding from our responsibility? And this is just one of them, to be the light. To be the light in the darkness. Oh, and the, the world is dark. If you haven't noticed, uh, the country we call home is, is dark, if you haven't noticed. But are we hiding from our responsibilities? Or are we being the light that God said we are? See, there's no group who has the ability to love the way we're able to love. Why? Because of who we are? No, it's because of the one we're connected with. It's because of the Holy Spirit in us who produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love. So there's no group. They may say, oh, I love this person or, or love is love, whatever they want to say. But if we're truly walking in our calling and we're not hiding, being Christians and hiding, then, then people will see the love of God in us and through us. We're unique in that way. Because once again, we're connected to a holy and righteous God the true and the living God. But also uh, another reason we're unique is because we're, we're called the salt of the earth. The world is not called the salt of the earth. Believers are called the salt of the earth. And, and salt has some positive qualities. It, for some people, of course, it causes high blood pressure and things like that. It makes folks thirsty. But some positive qualities includes the fact that it seasons, it preserves, can stop or uh, slow down the rotting process in meat, for example. It, it purifies or cleanses. And so we are the seasoning in this world. We are the, preserver, the, the preserving uh, factor in this world because of the Holy Spirit in us. Oh, and there's some verses right here, some prof- prophetic verses in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so for people, for Christians who are looking for the Antichrist, I would say stop. Start looking for Jesus Christ. He's going to come back for his church. We're going to meet him in the air if we're alive at the time of the rapture. But it's talking about the Antichrist here. And, and even right now, the mystery of lawlessness is at work. If you haven't noticed, then take another look. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The he is capital. The H and he is capital. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. Wait a minute, Durrell. I thought you said the Holy Spirit or God is omnipresent. He is omnipresent. So this is talking about the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in who? In the church. The restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. The church who is called the light. The church who is called the salt. The church who is supposed to be the influencers in this world and not the ones who are being influenced by the world. We're supposed to be the influencers because we have the Holy Spirit in us. 
All that restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit is at work and we're able to be the salt. We're the ones speaking up against lawlessness. We're the ones speaking up against abortion. We're the ones speaking up for biblical marriage and not non-biblical marriage. And and we're telling the truth of God's word. We're the ones who's standing up for righteousness and speaking out against sin. And you can go on and on. And so we season. They should be, we shouldn't blend in with the world We are unique, but some of us are in hiding. And the truth is we should not lose our influence. Matthew 5.13 goes on, and this is again, Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If we lose our flavor as the salt of the earth, we stop being the good witnesses God wants us to be. Uh, Where are we going to get our seasoning from? Well, we should be the seasoning of the world. But if we lose it, it's it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And so if we stop being the witnesses God wants us to be, if we become those Christians in hiding and not fulfilling our role, the unique role that we've been called to do, then we're going to be useless. We're going to be useless witnesses for the Lord. But here's another thing that shows the uniqueness of the church and the individuals in the church is that we have the word of truth, the word of truth that purifies, the the word that is called the sword of the spirit. We we have the word of God, the word of truth, which is living and it's powerful, the scriptures tell us. And and the word is so powerful that it says that, that, that faith comes by hearing the word, the word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 160, if you're taking notes, it says that the entirety of your word speaking to the Lord is truth. All of it from cover to cover, from Genesis through Revelation, the entirety of the word of God is truth. And it says, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Oh, yeah, we, we are unique as believers. And we were given the spiritual gifts to use. We, we were We are called the light of the world. We are called the salt of the earth. We have the word of truth. And and as the worship team comes up, as as we have the word of truth, this is is what people are looking for. They're looking for truth. And so they're going to these various websites. They're going to these various magazines. They're taking those magazines off the shelves. They're they're going to various people. They're they're buying various books off the shelf, these self-help books. They're looking to various people to be their heroes because some people are looking for the truth. They're getting on Twitter and, and I hope folks not going on there and, and, and looking for the truth. I hope people are not trying to be uh, people who indulge in the YouTube theology instead of theology that comes from the word of God. Uh, but this is what people are looking for. They're looking for the truth. And we're unique in that the church has the word of truth. And we are the ones who carry the message of hope that the world needs. We're the ones who carries the message about a savior who loves them. We're the one who carries the message about the savior who died for them. We're the one who carries that message of hope about the savior who paid the penalty for their sins. So people don't have to go to hell. Well, we carry that message of hope about the resurrection because Jesus says, because I live. And he says, so my followers will live. Well, we carry that message of hope, the word of truth 
about people's sins being forgiven. You see, people, some people are overcome by grief and discouragement because they, they think, oh, God can never forgive me because of what I've done. But we carry that message of hope, that word of truth. We have that unique position. We have that unique responsibility. And, and the world doesn't have that responsibility. So once again, why are we hiding from our responsibilities? Why are we hiding from our calling? Oh, we, we're the ones who have that message of hope about that Jesus who, who is the way for the true life. And you know people are looking for life, but, but Jesus is the one who provides the true life. And, and we share about that Jesus who provides the true riches. And he is the way for that true peace that people are looking for in this world. And Jesus is the way for that, for that true love that people are looking for. And Jesus is the way for that true joy that people are looking for. And some people are looking for freedom and from, from whatever they're in bondage to. But Jesus is the way for the true freedom that, that people are looking for in this world. And we have that message. We have that word of truth, but we're still trying to hide from our responsibilities and it's a unique position that we have but once again no one no one no the world can't do this the world cannot fulfill our role as a church and whatever God called you to do as an individual I can't fulfill your role your wife can't fulfill your role They can't fulfill your role like you can. And so the final word I would say is, if you're in hiding, come out of hiding. Because there's a world who's dying and going to hell. They're in darkness and they need to hear about the Jesus that we serve. But are we hiding? Father, we pray that You'll help us to be bold for you, Lord. Lord, we know that there's some situations, some people that we want to talk to, but, and you, maybe you put it on our heart to talk to them, and we're a little nervous about that. We pray for that extra dose of boldness that comes to your spirit, and Lord, there's some things you've been stirring our hearts to do, Lord, and we haven't done it. We've been in hiding Now the world thinks that they can take our position and they think that they're the source of truth. They're not. You are. And you call us your ambassadors. We are your representatives on this earth. We have that message of reconciliation, encouraging people to be reconciled to God. Help us, Lord. To step out in faith, help us to step out in boldness, help us to step out in the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we love you. And we just want to see every opportunity to serve you, to share the, and to share the gospel with others. We, we want to see those opportunities as a blessing and something to be grateful about. That you, the God of the universe, will want to use us. Stir our hearts to do your will, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to thank you all for coming out and encourage you to keep each other in prayer. And I'll be praying for you that 
the Lord will use you in a mighty way this week. So be blessed and be a blessing. And as I always like to say or try to say, we love you. And if you're able to stand, please do as we sing this last song of the night to our Lord. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.